Welcome to the Film Coterie. I'm Roger. I'm Adam. And this is episode number 84, a special Frozen 2 edition and an Irishman edition. Well, Adam, we have some guest co-hosts for this edition, do we not? Yes, thankfully we are no longer alone in the booth. We brought in the experts for Frozen 2. <laughs> yes, we did. We have two young ladies that are bona fide Frozen experts. Uh, the first one is my daughter, Tori Legg. Say hello. Hello, hello. And her BFF, Lena Halverson. Hi. So um, they're here to help us review Frozen 2. Now, now, uh, normally we, we start off the show with some witty banter. So, uh, girls, what's been happening in your life? What's been going on? Nothing exciting. You know, the, this was the excitement this for This really week. was. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. You know, the ever-pressing demands of a high school senior. Oh, yeah. So, so, so just to give our audience a little background, uh, when Frozen, the original movie, came out, uh, explain, you guys were like in middle school? Yeah, we took, actually, our school took a school-wide field trip, things that don't really happen that often anymore, and we were in sixth grade, so it was our first year of middle school, and we went to go see Frozen as an entire school. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. And so here we are, what is it, six years later? Yep, pretty much. All right, and... And this is the reason we're bringing them on, is yeah, we're fully aware that Roger and I are not the target audience <laughs> for the Frozen <laughs> franchise. What? How do so we need their opinions on this one to give it a fair evaluation. Yes, absolutely. And so I think we'll just jump right into our review of Frozen. Why don't we listen in just to a little bit of it? And then when we come back, we'll give you our our four-person bona fide expert review of Frozen 2. You're listening to The Film Coterie. Far away, as north as we can go. Once stood an enchanted forest. You've seen an enchanted forest? Yes, it was a magical place, but something went wrong. Since then, no one can get in or out. Wow, Papa, that was epic. What would I do without you? You'll always have me. Has Elsa seemed weird to you? She seems like Elsa. There's this voice. Voice? What does that mean? Head for the cliffs! I'm gonna blow! I've got you! The kingdom is not safe. All right, and that was a little bit of a listen in to Frozen 2. And uh, we're here with special guest co-hosts, Tori Legg and Lena Halverson. It's great to have Tori and Lena with us. So, girls, what did you guys think? You guys are the experts, you know. Um, let's set the stage first. Uh, explain to our listening audience how, uh, what was the impact of the original Frozen to you and, you know, to, and to your friends and stuff? And then what was your thoughts coming up to Frozen 2? Okay, um, I'll start with that. We were pretty young when the first one came out, mm-hmm. and I don't know. The first one was just magical. Mm-hmm. Like, we really loved it. The music was amazing, and of course, you know, with Disney, the animation was beautiful. We loved the story, and we loved the we loved the kind of sister power story. That felt very, mm-hmm. that felt very new, and I know people kind of talk about it now, like, 
it sort of played out, but it really wasn't at the time. Disney mm-hmm. hadn't had a movie that focused on like a sisterly bond before. And I think, or I know I really appreciated it. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I mean, I was like, what, like 12? Mm-hmm. We were so young. I loved it. It was amazing. It was like the best thing. Mm-hmm. I think for me, what really struck me about Frozen for the first time is, because I mean, our entire family grew up watching a Disney movies. And I idolize Disney princesses especially. But there was kind of a classic story arc in a Disney princess movie. Like, she'd be going through something. She'd meet a guy. And then, you know, she'd, like, find something in herself. But it would always be a really key part that the guy helped her out with that. Um, And I think what was so different was you kind of did have that a little bit with Kristoff and Anna in the first one. But I was really expecting, I remember so distinctly in watching it for the first time in the theater that Elsa's going to find somebody, whether it be up in the mountain or someone. And Elsa doesn't get a prince. Like, she doesn't really get anyone. That was the first time, like, my, like, 11, 12-year-old brain was, like, blown that, like, <laughs> someone can save the day and, like, like, and it just be them and it just be who they are. And a sisterly relationship can do that. And that, for me, was really, really, like, earth-shattering that Disney was willing to go and take that narrative. And I think, like Lena said, it was the first time that they did do that narrative. I mean, someone could definitely prove me wrong. Maybe I don't have my facts mm-hmm. right. Another thing was, I think I think I also liked that the whole Anna-Elsa relationship, it wasn't just like, oh, Elsa's 100% good. Like, she was obviously, she was doing harm, but... Homegirl's got issues. She had issues. and But she wasn't demonized at the same time, yeah. which I think we liked that too. It was, a, it was more complicated than most main so relationships. So she could act out and not be the villain. It gave you a little bit of acceptance that maybe everyone has a, a bad side or a temper. There was such a human aspect to the first Frozen movie. And what I mean by that is I kind of feel like oftentimes, like, when Disney does movies, they kind of either make them fully good or fully bad. And like you said, Adam, it's she can do really bad things and make dumb choices, but yet there still be redeeming qualities about her. And we don't have to totally demonize sure. her for that. Let me just jump in. I saw Frozen for the first time ever last week and his so, life has changed I'm a, I'm a real late comer to the franchise <laughs> and watching it i knew the songs i knew the characters just from pop culture mm-hmm. but as i'm watching I'm like oh maybe elsa's the villain of this piece because when mm-hmm. she does her big freeze everything moment then i realize no she's not the villain oh there's no villain in this piece and then a villain shows up out of nowhere Bond. right at the start of the third act and it, the story was really muddled to me for the first mm-hmm. one but you know I, I took a poll at the office and all these people i know what they really love about frozen are was the music mm-hmm. and the characters. Everything else didn't matter. No one cares yep. about the story. Yep. So as we take a look at Frozen 2, I think we want to keep that in mind, that the draw to this franchise is really the music and the characters, at least right. from my own yeah. unscientific yeah. polling. 100%. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So so Frozen definitely had a huge impact on you guys as, as young middle schoolers. Now you're high school seniors. You're about to graduate, go off to college, and... Enter into your the rest of your lives, and here comes Frozen Two six years later. And what was the buildup? What was the anticipation for you coming to this? Was you excited? Was you a little bit nervous? What'd you think? Um. Well, I told you, Dad, that if you didn't get Frozen tickets, I wasn't speaking to you again. So there was a lot of buildup to this. Like when I found out that when they released it back in like March or April, we were in the car together, and I turned to you and I was like, "You're getting press tickets, right?" Like, that's all that mattered. But I definitely would say, I mean, Lena and I were talking about it in the car right over today, that it is kind of hitting at a at an odd time for us. Like, the first movie was released our first year of middle school, and the sequel was getting released our last year of high school. And I think as kind of we dive in and we talk about some of the themes, I think a lot of it was being willing to accept change and accept things that 
that that things do change and that's okay. And I think at least for me that hit a little bit more home because I mean, our lives are changing. We're getting ready to go off to college. We're getting, our lives are getting ready to drastically change. And so I think because of that, we knew kind of there was going to be some of that aspect going into it. So I think it's just a little bit more nostalgic for us of kind of seeing this chapter close along with that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as we segue into Frozen 2, um, I would echo and think that I think you're probably part of the, you know, the target demographic, you know, and some of the themes uh, of Frozen 2 will manifest and kind of parallel even some of you guys' journey as well. So um, let me just say from the outset that if you're averse to Frozen spoilers, if you're averse to knowing what goes on in Frozen 2, you might want to just stop the podcast right now and um, go watch it and then come back to the podcast or skip ahead to The Irishman, our second film, one of the two. But uh, we're going to go ahead and give the girls and Adam and I just free reign to um, go ahead and just share our thoughts and, and not worry about spoilers and kind of get into the movie. So Frozen 2, what what's your thoughts? Well, who wants to jump off here? Well, so let's set up the premise a little bit. Mm-hmm. We don't really know how much time has passed since the first one. Not that much. The characters are still pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. The new threat comes from a mystical land to the north, which has some fog and a voice of a siren that's drawing the characters northward. Totally trustworthy. Mm-hmm. And brings in themes of wanderlust, wanting to get out of home, mm-hmm. be something else. Mm-hmm. Fulfill a purpose. Yeah. yeah. And then the characters go north. And what was exciting for some of the people from the trailers is it looked like this movie would be about all the characters together. The trailer really sells that this is an adventure with Anna and Elsa and Not Olaf. Not fire monsters like I previously predicted going in. Spoiler, there's no fire monsters in the movie. <laughs> you know, the trailer really sells that this movie is them together. Mm-hmm. And then they get north and everyone kind of goes off on their Separates. Own yeah. little adventure. Um... Man, I think mentioning just a little bit mm. to, I don't know, what what's the word, back, give some background. Mm. I wasn't, I obviously was excited when I mm. saw, like, the first trailer for Frozen 2, but I was very skeptical, mm. I'd say, most of all, just because, I don't know, I thought, I thought the first one was good, I really liked it, I thought mm. it ended on a really good note, so I was a little, I was definitely kind of skeptical going into it though i think as compared to other disney sequels Mm -hmm. that we've gotten there have been there were more things they could explore and i think Mm -hmm. they did attempt to explore those things which i was happy with i was Mm -hmm. happy they really went into that sort of mystical mystical realm a little bit Mm -hmm. and kind of going on a journey exploring elsa's powers i i'm glad we got that Mm-hmm. Um, and if there's anything you want to say on that, I'd say starting off 10 out of 10, loved it, would recommend, <laughs> cried, <laughs> had a more wonderful experience with it. So you're saying the whole movie's a, a 10, perfect film? I mean, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, okay. What I'm saying was a 10 out of 10 experience, just for like oh, the nostalgia experience. aspect okay. for it all. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that like, what's really cool about it all is like, we were talking about this, like the plot, like felt really busy. That's what I was saying. Yeah. I, felt, I felt like there were a lot of things going on, and there a lot of people were separated, and some people had more to do than others. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, like Adam said at the beginning, mm-hmm. people are here for the characters and yeah. the, sing, the, the music, and I'm trying to keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. 
because so, so so if that's the case, I'm sorry to interrupt you. So if that's the case, though, then so how do we rate Frozen two then? If we're just talking about the characters and our experiences with them, and those those type of things, uh, the music, the 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 way the film looked, I think all four of us would agree that the plot is pretty messy and all over the place. It's mediocre. And, it's it's a Disney film, and I think that's kind of what you're getting into yeah. all of that. But it's really no different than the first one. Having just seen the first one, plot-wise, I think you're on a similar playing field. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. But the music, it it felt a little more unbalanced to me. It felt in this one like the first ten minutes had four songs. Yeah. And then nothing for almost the rest of the movie. So, Lena and I were talking about this because I, when the first, like, cast originally came out, like, I got really psyched because we both come from a theater and a musical theater background. Mm-hmm. And so seeing like Adina Manzel and like Josh Gad and like all these amazing like Broadway people. And even like in the second as we've grown up and gotten like gotten to know the theater community more, like these are huge people. Um, but even I noticed that too of like I was like, this isn't correct pacing, especially like when you're pushing all of these songs. And yes, when you have such a loaded cast, obviously utilize them. But you were getting overloaded so much with the music that in the first, like, act, the second act, it felt really choppy, and they weren't connected. Like, what was up with, like, Kristoff's, like, synth, like, 80s music video? It's a gamble. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, say. what is this? I think that's, some people will love it, other people will hate well, it. Well, it's interesting, because that's usually not Disney's thing. Like, Universal mm-hmm. and DreamWorks, when they yeah. do a movie like Shrek, yes. they lean mm-hmm. into pop culture. They'll yeah. do Disney, funny things. Disney yeah. never does that. They make current references. Disney almost never touches it, so that really surprised me. They really took a swing. They with... broke the fourth wall a lot. They, yeah. they did. And to say something about the music, because we, we started talking about mm-hmm. the music, I feel like everything felt like, I feel like the music felt like it stuck with you more from the first one, because mm-hmm. I know, I don't know how many people would be, you know, singing like, do you want to build a snowman, or mm-hmm. let it go, and mm-hmm. obviously these songs are trying to be compared to let it go, which is really hard, and if we're trying to compare them to like, the songs of the first movie, I just didn't think they were as strong, because I, when I when I went yeah. out, I remembered, I'd say like two Maybe three mm-hmm. songs stuck with me the most. Mm. Yeah, I think it's interesting, though, that Disney even acknowledges there, there's a little note to the first songs in in part of the film. Mm-hmm. And even Elsa going, hearing her own song going, oh, OK, OK, enough of that. And kind of a hand wave, you know, yeah. uh, which I thought was neat. What are some of the high po- high points of this film for you guys? Olaf's commentary and dialogue was <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> It's a strength with Olaf. They they're leaning into it. They know what works for the mm-hmm. crowd. So they do. yeah, yeah. Pr- probably the funniest scene for me was when <laughs> Olaf gave us the thirty second recap of Frozen One accurately, Frozen 1 accurately <laughs> with 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 correct social and political commentary as yeah. well. Yes, there was a lot of political commentary in there that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Even in the the main story of this of yeah. this movie. Really, um. well, I mean, with the music, just to finish that up, um, I don't think any of these songs are gonna really catch on as far as radio play either. or anything else, but we'll see. I could. They're really pushing um, into the unknown, which I really liked that song. It's just, it's hard. It's hard to put it against "Let It Go," is what I'll say. Yeah. At the end of the day. So, like, and that is the one that, like, when we've talked about, like, in advertising, it's been, like, Into the Unknown, and they've even attached Panic at the Disco, which is a 
apparently like a popular band nowadays. <laughs> that was shame, Tori. But anyway, we're gonna move on. I wasn't expecting attack on Panic at the Disco. Um, oh boy, here we go. My, not my favorite style of music, but that okay. that was like the end credit song, and so they are. But I will like the music isn't rememberable. Like I told Lena, I was like. Because I've like I've already downloaded. It the wasn't soundtrack. bad. Like, it wasn't. It wasn't bad. No, it's amazing it just, music. But it just wasn't. It doesn't just hold up wasn't to the first memorable. one. Yeah. Um. So how how about the comparable transformation song? Know yourself. How how to um, show yourself or show yourself? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, right? I knew it. Would, I'm <laughs> <Amateur>? sorry. <laughs> Jeez, Dad. This is this is the point where the you just, uh, just student, let them take over. The <laughs> student becomes the master, and they take over the podcast. <laughs> to be real, though, I actually didn't remember the name. Yeah, we had to I really liked that song, but I couldn't remember what it was called, and it was the chorus. So, so we, Lena and I were talking about this earlier because going into the podcast, we like we made a list before we saw the movie tonight of what we wanted and like what we actually thought was gonna happen. And in my once, I put like in all caps was like I want like an Adina Menzel like can you let me have my one yeah. My one is, I'm so glad they didn't try and do another twist villain. Yes. Disney's been doing that, like, with every recent movie, yes. and it's been falling flat recently. Yeah. And I just, I'm so happy they didn't try and do they that again. They just made, like, yeah, the elements. I mean, or maybe there was, but I feel like it wasn't intended. Yeah, yeah. and so, like, with that, like, what I was saying, like, with the, like, I wanted, like, this big Adina Manzal moment. Like, we all knew, like, we were gonna get it, which is her nature, and so within the first into the unknown, like like Adam talked about earlier, we had this like kind of almost out of place song that was really big and is kind of being the big title song for this uh, movie. And I was like, that's kind of odd that we're getting this big moment from Elsa, you but didn't whatever. Like that pacing. I didn't like the pacing. No, but I was like, I was like, I'll take it. I was it's like, like ten minutes into the movie. Yeah, it I was, was like, yeah. this feels really very, out of balance. It was very soon. But then we get. Elsa's by herself, and she finally, after, like, years and years and years of never feeling like she's belonged, she, like, just discovered that her parents got shipwrecked, and they were going to this, like, deserted island for her. She finally gets that destination, and she has this moment of, like, no, now you are going to show yourself. Now I am going to get answers. And, like, Lena and I talked about earlier, like, Lena, she really, really didn't, and you can kind of talk about this, didn't want a copycat <laughs> moment of Let It Go. I didn't, because I feel like since Let It Go was so big, it was on the radio, it was plastered in mm-hmm. everyone's brains for a little bit i was afraid they were gonna try and pull off another this is the new let it go kind of song and maybe they did but because none of them seemed like they really were on the same level mm-hmm. as let it go yeah. it kind of didn't end up happening and the reason- which i'm not mad about because yeah. they didn't they didn't need to do that they don't they didn't need to have another let it go you know and the reason why i bring that up is because show yourself i almost feel like is kind of that, but not in a negative way. Like we get like this another huge like dress transformation, which is exactly what happens. <laughs> That's what we're here in for. Let it go. The dress transformation. But like I was like, I'm kind of here for it. Like I don't hate it. Like I thought I would because then I almost think they had, um, what's it? into the unknown. I if I think if they hadn't sure. had that song so early on and almost like kind of like soothed everything, then show yourself would have been super super cliche and annoying. I don't know. I just wanted into the unknown. I didn't want it much later, just a little later. It yeah. felt early, but with what the song's about, I think it, it needed to be there. So, but because they did that though, I think it makes show yourself not very cliche and like an okay moment. Okay, so let me jump in here. Some of the same themes that I think made Frozen so popular is knowing that the real enemy maybe is within you or, or your perceived self of yeah. you. And overcoming your insecurities, finding your place in the world. 
Um, those those themes still really shine in Frozen too with Elsa and her journey. And then uh, we get her sister and some of the other ones kind of having that same journey as well. Did it work for you guys or not? Are you asking about the the personal journey of the characters, how we felt yeah. about that? Yeah, I I would have liked to see more personal journey because, mm-hmm. I don't know, I feel like something that wasn't addressed is a big kind of a thing of conflict is, you know, Anna wants to do her best to protect Elsa, and she's like, yeah, we do these things to de- together. And then Elsa goes off mm-hmm. without Anna, and as Anna keeps saying, you're going to push yourself too far. And Elsa's like, I know, da-da-da-da-da, but then she kind of forcibly sends Anna away. So then Elsa goes off on her own, and what ends up happening is she kind of goes too far and needs sort of someone to save her again. Right, and Anna, yeah. And Anna ends up saving her, and sure. we never get that, I don't know, I feel like it wasn't really resolved. And another thing is, mm-hmm. Elsa's still struggling, she's still very anxious, she's still obviously kind of... So, so, Do we so, want to say she has self-esteem issues? Sure, Lena. She constantly, yeah. she constantly blames herself mm-hmm. for the stuff that happens. So, so I'll, let me push back just a little bit, um, just some thoughts that direction. I really thought Anna. <clears throat> I liked her transformation journey in this in this film. Yeah. Uh, I liked the song "One More Step." That was the song that moved me the most out of all of this because Anna faced her greatest fear, and that's what would happen if I'm all alone. Everybody I love yeah. is, and, and, and do I have what it takes to carry on? And this was a big movie for Anna, though. Yeah, and so so I kind of liked that her personal journey. Uh, Elsa's, I think, was was kind of predictable and as it should be, and it was mm-hmm. nice. and And let's just give Disney credit; they make beautiful films. Yes, they the, do. The, the film was gorgeous. The animation was oh, gorgeous. It was so um, gorgeous. You know, I'm an artsy person, and it was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Some of my favorite things, just a, some of the scenes, mm-hmm. like the work they did on, of course, in all the nature and especially working with water, which has always been really hard in animation mm-hmm. to master. It just looks so good. Yeah. yeah. So I, I guess maybe this is a good place. We kind of need to wrap this seg- segment up here a little bit. Um, so, so uh, th- final thoughts. What do you guys think? Um, you know, thumbs up. Um, what's your prediction for frozen two? Well, the movie's review proof. It really doesn't matter what we think. This thing's going to make 400 million Adam, domestic. We have the final say. A billion dollars worldwide. I was a little bored with it. Uh, I, I could kind of feel it lagging there in the middle, and I was looking mm-hmm. forward to the conclusion. Mm-hmm. I did think some of the themes were real surface level, and they just shouted mm-hmm. them out to make it look deeper than it was. Mm-hmm. I really didn't buy that Elsa and Anna or any sort of bridge kind of theme. I thought that was yeah. just pasted on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that there wasn't... I think that if you were younger when the film first came out, just for simply nostalgic purposes and kind of maybe where you're at in your life, you'll maybe you'll connect with it more. It is, I would say, definitely for a younger audience. Is it the best Disney film ever that's come out? Absolutely not. Is it one that, like, if you're going to put on, like, on a Friday night just because you have nothing else to watch? Like, yeah, like, go see it. Like, the songs are probably, like, after you listen to the soundtrack a couple times, you'll probably enjoy. I'll say overall... As someone who does have, like, nostalgic mm-hmm. attachment to yeah. the film, I enjoyed the experience. I really mm-hmm. did. And I'd say for someone else who really loves Disney and or yeah. maybe really already has that love for the first film, I'd recommend seeing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really 
The animation's really beautiful. Of course, you get to be with the characters again, and obviously some really nice music as well. It's definitely not as strong as the first one, yeah. per se, if you want to consider the first one really strong. Mm-hmm. It's got its issues, for sure, but I think it's... also it's, got its charm. It does. I think it definitely had some mm-hmm. heart in it, heart in it, so therefore, I think it's, I think it's definitely <coughs> worth you know, seeing. Okay. And for me, I'll push back just a little bit from Adam. I can't disagree with his assessment from a critical perspective, but daggone it. There were times I was moved into this movie (laughs) and the music and the lights and the sound got me, you Mm -hmm. know? So I think Adam is spot on with his analysis of the film, but for some reason, this film really, really moved me, really touched me. Uh, And so I'm going to give it a big thumbs up and a big recommend uh, I think, like Adam said, this film is review-proof. It's going to do over a billion dollars. Uh, and, and heck, we got another good... We got another film that empowers ladies yeah. and, and empowers women Which and tells them... <laughs> and tells them that... Uh, that they can be anything they put their mind to, and uh, there's, you know, I just, I just love all of and that. And it didn't tear down Kristoff either, which I really, really appreciated as well. Kind of like as, like, cause we're, as we're wrapping up, I think sometimes we'll get that of if we empower women so much, we have to tear down like the guy she's with. But Kristoff was like just as awesome and sweet and charming, and I really appreciated that. All right, that's going to wrap it up for Frozen Two. It is in wide release as you're listening to this podcast. Uh, check it out. Let us know. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. Actually, we're going to switch gears. So this is a great time. If you're driving in your car with small children and you're listening to our Frozen (laughs) review, this is a great time to stop this podcast and uh, wait till you don't have small children. (laughs) Because we're going to switch gears and we're going to listen in to a little bit of Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. Uh, You are listening to the Film Coterie podcast. We'll be right back. Let me put McGee on the phone. Hello? Hi, my friend. How are you? Listen, I got that kid I was talking to you about here. I'm going to put him on the phone let you talk to him, okay? Right. Hello? Is that Frank? Yes. Hi, Frank. This is Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah, yeah. Glad to meet you. Well, glad to meet you, too, even if it's over the phone. I heard you paint houses. Yes, yes, sir, I, I do, I do, and I, uh, I also do my own carpentry. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. I understand you're a brother of mine. Yes, sir, Local 107, since 1947. Yeah, you know, uh, our friend speaks very highly of you. Well, thank you. He's not an easy man to please. Well, I do my best. All right, we are back, and we are changing gear. We are going from Frozen 2 to the newest Martin Scorsese epic, (laughs) The Irishman. Yes. A Netflix film. Let's point that out. Netflix gave Martin Scorsese $160 million to make a mob epic. Well, who would have ever thought you'd see the day where Scorsese is doing a Netflix original film? Well, I mean, we got to be honest here. No studio would have given him that money. That's true. And this might be the first true Scorsese where he had no limit. No one was saying no to him. Um, when I saw this movie, it's it's three and a half hours long. We saw it in a theater. It looks great projected. Oh, yeah. I, the, I'm not a producer, but I always think of films in financial terms. I couldn't believe the number of locations in this film, and I had to look it up. They shot for seven months and used 130 locations oh my goodness that it it is 
so I was asked, you know, uh, when, when we go to these press screenings, they always grab you. I mean, you literally you walk out of the theater and they grab you and they say, what was your thoughts? What did you think? They you squeeze know? you for a blurb. They squeeze you. And the thing that just came, I mean, the overwhelming sense that I walked away from was I thought it was a master of, of a film. The three and a half hours did not even bother me in the least little bit. I could have probably sat there four hours because I was so engrossed with the film. So, so the length wasn't, wasn't at all. I, I just sat there thinking, here is a master at his craft. He's been doing this since the early 70s in Mean Streets and all these evolution of films that Scorsese has done. And he's just laying it all out there. He's telling, he's, we got the director's cut of this film, you know? Yeah. And, and no, there's no Hollywood edits, no studio edits, whatever, you know. No interference. No interference. This is the story he wanted to tell. And for those of you who are wondering why it's called The Irishman, it's loosely based on the story of, of, of Jimmy Hoffa and a, um, a Frank Sheeran, a, a guy who kind of becomes his right-hand man he's a fixer for the mob he's, yeah he's a fixer exactly he does the laundry or i forget what they call he it he paints it. houses he paints houses yes. let's talk about that real briefly here's some. the book was called he paints houses or yes. something like that yeah yeah, yeah sure was. no i hear you paint houses is yeah, what it was I called i hear you paint houses the irishman title never comes up in this movie never. when the movie starts playing it's a black screen and it says i hear you paint houses yeah so i, I just thought that was kind of strange yeah and so I mean, just think of this cast, De Niro, Pacino, um, Pesci, uh, Anna Paquin is in this, Harvey Keitel is in this, um, I mean, the, Ray Romano is in this, I mean, you could go on and on and on, Jesse Plemons is in this, um, it, it is just an amazing collection of actors with, you know, these guys, De Niro, Pacino, Pesci, these guys have been around, Keitel have been around forever and they are actors, actors, you know? And so um, I, I just, I loved this film. It, it is uh, it is a continuation. I think if they haven't already done this, and they've probably already done this, Adam, but Scorsese has these themes of religion and violence and the mob and family, family yeah. and immigration coming over here and not really fitting, but only but connecting with your family. And he explores these deep spiritual themes, yet also that also uh, uh, that these violent, totally anti-society characters have that are, I mean, just incredible, you know. And um, here's this guy. I, I've never, I've never seen a film where the lead character, you know, I mean, there's so much we could say, so much we could get into how how time is used in this film. Kind of, you kind know, of let our audience know, Adam. How does he use time in this film? Because it's shot from like, is it three or four different time frames? It's decades. You know, this film really spans decades. It focuses on Frank's character. Right. Um, from the war. And it jumps back and forth from his time in the war. to his. It starts with him in a retirement home. Yes. It jumps back to him <laughs> as a younger man getting in with the mob, his time in the war, his time near the end of uh, Hoffa's life. Yep, his time when they... It's he, got four or five time periods, and yeah. they, they use the digital de-aging technique. I'd say it's a mixed bag how it works. It, it works for the majority of the film, but I, it didn't really work for the one war flashback. I'll just say that. Yeah, I, I, you know, you kind of come off uh, a little bit 
ruddy plastic. Or, or plastic or red, you know, a little bit too much color in your in your face and stuff. So that was a little bit off-putting initially. But w- once I got past that, I just felt this engrossing film that I just fell into. Yep. That that I just I, this world I wanted to I wanted I wanted every ounce of juice out of this orange and and Scorsese gave it to me he took the time to squeeze it and give me all of it you well, know and here's the best news I'm always been worried about this lately with De Niro when I say lately I mean through the 90s to now when De Niro's checked out of a role oh yeah he can sleepwalk through it yep I mean we, it's very rare you get a really engaged De Niro and and the same can be said about Pacino too he can check out of a role and just kind of phone yep. it in all three leads here Pesci Pacino De Niro are super engaged. This is a movie they're delivering on. Yeah. So let's talk just for a second, real quickly. First of all, if you haven't noticed already, Adam and I are both very high on this film. It's one of the best of the year. One of the best of the year. I don't. It's going to land on my top ten come next month. I don't know where, but it's going to be up high somewhere. So, so I think you are a hundred percent correct with Robert De Niro. He is engaged. He's very measured. And the way that he addresses violence so matter-of-fact is unsettling for me. The way he just murders, and, 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 and you know, the way that Scorsese takes time to, there's a scene where he's going through all the different gun options. I mean, this is, this, uh, this movie is just unbelievable because we're in, a, we're in a society where guns are so taboo, and, and Scorsese's like, F you, I don't care. I'm going to take my time and show this film. And so he's going to talk about all these different kinds of guns and which is the best one to use for this hit. And then when, so you have all this buildup to this hit in this diner. You, you have the target that comes in and his children are with him. His wife was with him. There's all this tension. And then it happens so quickly and so matter-of-factly. And he, you're out of the diner and it's like, Oh, I mean, it's it's unsettling. And that's the thing. The hits are, are not really built up. They're so fast and violent in the street, in the diner, in the home. It's not like each scene is carefully constructed tension piece. It's not right. at all. These things are just fast and matter of fact. But but yet I would say at the same time, knowing that there's a hit coming, it's 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 unlike it's 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 so unlike the the Italian restaurant scene in Godfather where they build that tension. Or the end of Sopranos. Or the end of Sopranos, yes, where they build that tension. This is your tense. You know it's going to happen, and you're like, oh, my goodness, this moment is upon me, and it's happened and done, and we're out into the street, and we've moved on. Now, here's the biggest surprise, at least for me. I'm pretty confident in saying this. I think Pesci's the best actor in this film. Uh, Without a doubt. This is Oscar performance by Pesci. And Pesci's playing a completely restrained character who doesn't fly off the handle. This is not the Pesci you know. And he's just so damn good in this that you don't... I mean, people have to be calling him. I mean, he needs more roles after this that he's not playing himself. This is a Pesci we haven't really seen. Well, well, he's... He can deliver a look and a mannerism that strikes fear into you because you know what's behind that look and mannerism. And like you said, it's so understated. It's so... Um, matter of fact, there, there's something behind his eyes that scares the hell out of you, that, you know, that I puts think, you off guard. And I think a lot of directors would hire Pesci when they want a caricature of a character, right? right exactly. Scorsese's been friends with him for years. He knows what Pesci's capable of. He, I mean, he picked him for this role, and now we know yeah. why. Oh, just just phenomenal. 
Al Pacino is given plenty of room to breathe and go big, and he doesn't restrain himself. He has his calls. He plays Jimmy Hoffa. Jimmy Hoffa was a go big character. Right. He, he, I mean, he was. Well, I better not get political, but let's just say he was a political person that wasn't afraid to go big and say things that were unpopular. Charismatic, wheeling and dealing. He can he can deliver it all as Hoffa. Yep. And, um. I have to say, I was listening to another podcast, and um, I thought their their assessment of it um, was was really really astute. They talked about um, Frank's daughter Peggy Sheeran, played by Anna Paquin, right, and how she is. They said that she is the line of truth through the whole film. In other words, she's not fooled by anything ever, mm-hmm. and she's she's almost the perspective of god viewing down and she's always judging and always knowing who her father really is and what the lifestyle's really like and she's kind of like the, the the line of truth the thread of truth that that flows through this whole film did you see that or feel that at all adam or what well, was your take on her character i mean you you see the way she looks at him and she certainly does see him it, it didn't click for me until the end because de niro's character does terrible things it doesn't bother him. He's not losing sleep at night. No. He's moving up in the world. He's getting yeah. big paydays. The price he's paying is his family. Yep. And you don't see that until he's alone in a nursing home with no one coming to visit him. And then it sort of clicked for me. And I think you need that to ground the character because otherwise he's a psychopath. Yeah. No, I, absolutely. And so, oh, man, the, the reflective nature of this film, I, I, I think that, you could say that this is Scorsese calling back to his complete body of work and showing you what he intended to say or do in some of those films. Um, such a masterpiece, such a great, great film. Um, I, I tell you, it, it's, it, it's, there's, I could just go on and on about it, but it's definitely going to end up in my, in my top 10. And it's going to be on Netflix here, I believe around Thanksgiving. So that's a little over a week away from where we sit now. Yep, and you can see it in theaters. If you can see it in theaters, I highly recommend it. Yes, but if you, yeah. If you can, I mean, yeah. Of course, it's going to be quote unquote free on Netflix. But there's something about the way Scorsese shoots a film that is deserves to be on a big screen and seen with the cinematography or the or how the DP shoots it. It's just just phenomenal. And as cinephiles, we have to take a little bit of uh, this as good news. Roma is now getting a Criterion release. It's been licensed over there. Yep. Fans have been worried about the Netflix model. These Netflix films, are they just going to be digital only, or can we own physical media? Right. I'd have to believe that this will be coming out as some sort of Criterion collection, too. Yeah. Absolutely. If Roma did it, this absolutely. is certainly going to do it, too. Absolutely. So so for, for me, The Irishman hits on all points. The score is great. Um, there's something... I felt a real connection with this film... And once upon a time in Hollywood, even though they're completely different stories, but the way they call back to periods of time, I, I think Scorsese um, knows how to make it make you feel like you're in the 40s, make you feel like you're in the 70s, make you feel like you're in the 80s. Well, you know, there was just such a realism. Uh, him and Tarantino. I don't think they could. You know, to me, those were two great films this year. I don't think either of those films would have been as impactful if they would have made them early in their careers. Yeah. You know, it's like these are seasoned directors that know how to say, okay, we're going to visit the 70s LA 
This is what it really was like. This is what it felt like, not just looked like. Scorsese does the same thing here. This is what the 60s looked like and felt like to be alive during that time. Um, some great stuff, man. I mean, just, just, yeah, well worth your three and a half hours. And, and it's nice that this, you know, some people have said, you know, it's a Netflix original. This should have been a four part miniseries on Netflix. Yeah. You could have done that, but with it being on Netflix, you can watch an hour, if you hour and a half, if you need to stop, pick it up the next night, it'll be okay. Cause it's going to be on Netflix. And yeah. you can actually pause it and go to the bathroom, which yes, is something we couldn't do is, in the theater. Yes. So Love the Irishman. I highly recommend it. I recommend you see it in the theaters if you can. If you can't, at least catch it over the holiday break um, and uh, catch it on Netflix. So, all right. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we'll get into our coming attractions, what's down the pipe over the next couple of weeks. You are listening to the Film Coterie Podcast. Oh, good evening. I'm film director Ryan Johnson. I'd like to extend a personal invitation to you, an invitation to murder. All right, and we're back, and this is time for our coming attractions segment. Um, we have two two really good films I'm excited to to see and to talk about. Um, had a chance a couple weeks ago to see Knives Out, and I know you've seen it as well, and looking forward to talking about it next week on the podcast. And then we're going Monday night to uh, Uncut Gems, so... Um, I, there's a lot of buzz about this film, Adam. It's the Safdie brothers. We were both big fans of Good Time. Yes. This is their second movie in New York, and it has an Adam Sandler performance that people are raving about. So, so if you've not seen, uh, uh, if you've not seen Good Time with Robert Pattinson, you owe it to yourself to find it video on demand somewhere and it's watch on it. Netflix or Amazon Prime. Yeah, it's on one of those. You owe it to yourself to see that film. Uh, I'm so pumped to see Uncut Gems. Like you said, we're going to visit some of the same territory, some of the same guerrilla-style filming that's going to go on in New York City. Um, it should be really exciting, and I can't wait to talk about it next week on the podcast. Yeah, and then we can eat turkey. There you go. All right, so that's going to wrap it up for this week's edition of the Film Cuttery Podcast. Adam, how can the listeners find us on the social intermedia webs? We keep it easy. We have the same hashtag slash handle on all social media. If you just look for at Film Coterie on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are there. We also have a website, filmcoterie.com. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this week's edition. We'll see you next time on another episode of The Film Coterie.